0: We are so blessed with our worship leaders, and uh, was sitting there thinking. Now, uh, halfway through that worship set, one day in heaven, all right, uh, I'm going to sing like Caleb Brocale. I thought, you know, one one day, all right, or Willie T there out there in Hendersonville. It's just one of those. It's, the t- it's not now, but at some point, uh, it will be. So, whatever campus you're on, by the way, um, uh, would you just kind of put your hands together, just show some gratitude. Uh, very, very blessed. Uh, with the folks God has uh, given us to lead in worship. Let me give you a couple things also. Um, uh, We're talking about London uh, today or in that uh, that brief... during the offering portion, uh, but I got a text last night from uh, the pastor of uh, that church that we helped plant uh, in 2019. His name is Thomas West, but anyway, he sent me a text because they're so far, you know, their time is so different, but they had already had church. But he said, somebody, there was a Portuguese lady. We talked about how London was such a metropolitan city and it was the place like Rome in the modern world, uh, people from all over the world. It's the crossroads, really, of the world. Uh, their financial district is bigger than Manhattan, all of that stuff. But there was a Portuguese lady who just came in for the first time into one of their services, wept throughout the entire services, gave, their li- gave her life to Christ at the end of the service uh, at uh, Redeemer Queens just yesterday. So we're excited. You keep them in your prayers. Great things going on there. Hey, also, if you're online, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Whatever campus you're on, I mentioned last week we've got starting points coming up, starting tonight in Franklin, so Franklin folks, not too late to get a free meal, Uh, and then a bunch of them are this Wednesday as well. And then lastly, before we jump into John chapter one, hopefully you've heard, but next week, uh, Tim Tebow Tebow will be here uh, to share his testimony, and he will share uh, from God's word. And here's the deal about our church, we don't don't bring in celebrities, so to speak speak. One of the values that we have as a church is just one celebrity and his name is Jesus, all right? So what we try, the rest of us are fallen men and women, uh, but there are good examples to follow, all right? Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And not that Tim's perfect, but one of the things Tim does do very well is what we talk about at the end of all of our services, that you are loved and that you are sent. And he knows he's loved by God. He understands the gospel. He understands the price that was paid for him. And then he knows he was sent. He knows that the God has given him. He is to leverage for the glory of God and the good of other people, just like the platform God has given you. We are to leverage it for it, for God's glory and for other people's good. So it's going to be challenging. It's a great time to bring a friend. And as I'll mention, this is not the time to bring invite somebody from somebody else's church. Hey, skip your church and come over to our church to hear celebrity. That's not, that's not who we are. But it's a great opportunity to invite somebody who may be just their their God is sports, and they come to hear of a person who is at the top level of sport, a share that there's something way beyond sport uh, that can uh, mean the world to them. So all right, be about inviting. We'll talk about that as we go on. So John chapter one is where we're gonna be, and uh, whether you remember it or not, most of us were confronted with that annoying math riddle, usually sometime around middle school. Uh, Your teacher came up and and, and they're varying degrees of how this was asked, but it basically went like this, at least to me, that if you had a choice between receiving $10,000 a day for 30 days or getting a penny a day and having that doubled each day for 30 days, which one would you choose? And in that day and time, especially in middle school, but at that age, that wasn't anything I had to think about, pray about, ask about. I'm like, man, I, that $10,000, that seemed like a huge sum. And even back then, I could do the math, all right? $10,000 a day, 30 days, that's $300,000. That's going to buy a lot of Nike Cortezes. That's what I thought. I was like, that, that is awesome. But then, you know, the, kind of the whole spoiler alert, the math teacher explains that, you know what? Mr. Frank, you should, have, you should have chosen the penny a day, double day after day after day. And she would say, the first week you don't have much money, you have, some, you have less than a dollar. But by the end of the month, that I would have had over $10 million. It took me two years to not believe that she was a liar, but what I had to understand was she was explaining something called the power of multiplication, The power of multiplication is like, listen, this is so much more powerful than just addition. It is the power of multiplication. And I say that to say this, church historians estimate that at the end of the first century that there were approximately 7,500 believers worldwide. Let me say it again. At the end of the first century, the estimates are that there were only 7,500 believers worldwide. That is less than the believers just at Biltmore Church for context and yet by the end of 3012 or 312, 312 A.D., the estimates are that half of the Roman Empire had converted to Christianity. Now, how is that? It's the power of multiplication. And as we kind of emerge and come out of this last year in the pandemic, uh, in some ways we're looking at this almost like a relaunch. We're asking the question, all right, Okay, knowing what our mission is, to make disciples, we're having to ask the question, well, what new ministries should we start? Or even more painfully, what ministries should we stop? Because since the mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ, what helps us do that best? That's kind of a collective challenge, but a personal challenge that is for you today is what role am I playing in that mission? Am I a participant? Am I a disciple in that mission? Or am I a spectator, like a spectator to a football game watching 22 guys work super hard while I just stand in the bleachers and cheer? John chapter 1, starting in verse 35, is one of the several episodes of the calling of the first disciples of Jesus. And looking at this calling reminds us in so many ways what a disciple is and what a disciple actually does. And so let me walk through some of these verses and I'm going to give you two things that all disciples, there's a few more than just these two things that you see in the text, but all disciples do these two things. And so John chapter one, verse 35 says this, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. If you were here last week, we looked at, Luke's version of the beginning of Jesus' ministry, when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist then baptizes a bunch of people, but including Jesus. And we talked about that last week. So here we are the next day. John is standing again, and instead of in a big public forum, he's got two of his disciples. Now, when you cross-reference this, the two disciples, one of them is a guy named Andrew and the other is, a, is, is another John, right? John the Apostle. Right? I know it can get confusing. There's actually five different Johns in the New Testament. Uh, so you've got John the Baptist, you've got John the Apostle, all that kind of being said, John the Evangelist. So with that being said, look at verse 36, and it says, And he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold, behold is don't miss this. He's talking to two of his disciples, and he's like, Listen, don't miss this perceive, and he said it the day before, and he said, I'm saying it again, behold, the Lamb of God. So a little bit of context there. The Lamb of God was spoken again the day before, but you have to remember contextually, this is a Jewish man speaking of a Jewish man, to Jewish men. So in order to understand the gravity, you can hardly overstate when he says, behold, the Lamb of God, this was the entirety of the Old Testament and it is the purpose that Jesus came to be the Lamb of God. One of the things we talk about all the time is you don't unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament. The Old Testament, the whole book, is about Jesus. The Old Testament foreshadows Jesus, talks about the need for Jesus and this Redeemer and you see that over and over and over and over again, from the Passover to the sacrificial system, to all the prophets, to all of that, over and again, they're like, there's a redeemer coming, there's a rescuer coming, and that is symbolized by all in the sacrificial system, all the animals that they, all the animals that they killed. And so here we come, and it says, that's not a lamb of God, that's not another lamb of God, that is the lamb of God. And so one of the things we talk about all the time, Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's the one that, just like those lambs were to be spotless, Jesus lived the perfect life. He lived the life we were supposed to live and then died in our place as a substitute, just like those, all those sacrifices had symbolized for thousands of years. And so here's the way the story goes on, verse 37. It says, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, "What are you seeking?" And they said to him, "Rabbi," make note of that, we got to understand what that means. "Rabbi," which means teacher, uh, "where are where are you staying?" So here's here's what Jesus does. Jesus uh, has these two guys and they're kind of following him and he looks around. He says, "What are you seeking?" What are you desiring? What are you chasing after? What are you pursuing? What are you going for? What is your north star in life? Where is that? What are you seeking? And that's a great reminder that all people are seeking. All people are seeking. They're asking the question, whether it be the homeless guy downtown or whether it be the executive that dresses up every day, what are you seeking? The answer is, is is this it? Is this it? History is the repetitive loop of horizontal accomplishments and accolades never bringing ultimate fulfillment with stuff and awards and hobbies. And when those good things become God things, they fall in on themselves because they were never meant to actually be the purpose that we live. Nothing wrong with new countertops and they give us that buzz when we first get them. Nothing wrong with that new car when we first get it. It's like, I love the smell of a new car. That's awesome. But just like you and I know, that stuff that we buy that we're so enamored with, you fast forward five years down the road and you're taking it to Goodwill or you're selling it in a garage sale. That car that you thought was so amazing, and nobody touched it, and kids, do not eat in this car. I mean, three years down the road, you're getting nasty stuff out of the seat, and McDonald's french fries out of the in-between, all that stuff. Why? Because at some point, that stuff wears off. It's interesting. Some of us learned, in, I think it was like in the early 1940s, actually, there was a theory introduced by a guy named Maslow, and he had this pyramid called the hierarchy of needs. And what he was trying to introduce, and it went through all the colleges and all the universities, and it just became standard fare and is to some degree. And what he was saying was these five basic needs, if you meet these five basic needs, that will bring ultimate fulfillment. That's all humans need to really live a life of satisfaction. What most people don't know, and I don't think I I've ever heard it actually taught in a college classroom, and that is that in 1971, Maslow himself says, you know what? When I look at all my study and I look at all the results from all this hierarchy of needs, it's not enough. He says there's got to be something beyond a man, beyond a woman, something transcendent that is above and beyond them to actually make their life satisfying, and that's why. That's why Ecclesiastes says, uh, God has put eternity into man's heart. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? There's got to be something more. There is. You are made by God and for God, and until we figure that part out, we're always going to be just like, uh, we're always going to be chasing that rabbit, you know, no, no confession here, but if you, there's this deal where you, these dogs, some, you know, some of you, I'm just guessing, you might go to those tracks that uh, the dogs chase the little fake mechanical rabbit around and around and around and around, all right? All right, Gamblers Anonymous meets on Thursday. All right, it's not Sunday morning. I'm just saying ch- you you see that and those dogs chase it and chase it and chase it and chase it. What they actually say is every blue moon, every once in a while, that dog will eventually catch the rabbit, tear it up, find out it's not real, and they say that dog will never go again. Because they finally it finally realizes I've been pursuing something that's not even real. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? What are you chasing after? So here's the way the story goes in, and it's kind of our first principle. He said to them, come and you will see. That's a great invitation. Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him. That's a key one. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. It's about, it's about, it's about 4 p.m. And then verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So um, what do disciples do? Am I a spectator or am I a disciple? Two things you see in the story that all disciples throughout all of Christendom have, have always done. The first one is pretty easy, but they continually follow Jesus. That's what they do. They just they follow Jesus. Verse 37, it says they followed him. Verse 39, Jesus invites them, come and follow me. Other, other versions of this says, he tells those disciples, hey, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Verse 40, it says, and they followed them. Now, I looked up the word follow. You'll be proud of how I spent my week. And uh, it, the word follow, when you look it up, it actually means to stay close to. That's what it means. All right, after all that theological education, I looked it up and it simply means it means to go after, it means to accompany. Now, here's the, here's the challenging part. If you grew up and you're not new to Bible study, sometimes we wonder why and how those first disciples followed Jesus. And in some of the movies and in some of maybe even the church plays, what seems to have been kind of the, the message that a lot of Hollywood was trying to push, a lot of preachers kind of talk about, a lot of films, even good Christian films, <laughs> good Christian film. Okay, I probably shouldn't go there. I'm just saying, even those, what you tend to think of is a beach scene and some guys out fishing or mending their nets and then uh, blonde haired, blue eyed, uh, Anglican looking Jesus comes walking on there and he's walking on the beach and he's got a bathrobe on, he's got a blue sash and he's got this breck hair and he's like, come follow me. And they're like robots, they're like tractor beam. Okay, I must follow. And then they just drop everything like that's the first time they met what we need to understand is again jewish men following a jewish man in a jewish culture and so what is this whole rabbi stuff he's talking about disciple stuff that's key for understanding what's going on here now the word disciple now i'm going to kind of put your big boy theology pants on for like uh three and a half to four minutes the word disciple, the Hebrew word for disciple is the word talmud in this, in this passage. Okay. The, the word stresses the relationship between the rabbi or the teacher and the disciple or the student. The talmud of Jesus' day would give up their entire life just to be asked and then to follow a, a rabbi. Here's the goal. The goal was to Not just get to know and believe what the rabbi knew and believed, but it was to act and emulate the way that your rabbi acted and behaved. So the whole goal was, I want to be just like my rabbi. So stay with me here. You're in a Jewish culture, religious culture. All Jewish boys went to Torah school, first five books of the Bible, at about age five. And from age five to about age ten, They would go to Torah school, and they would learn a whole bunch of stuff. Primarily, they would memorize the first five books of the Bible, called the Torah, all right? First five books of the Bible. They would miss, some of you all had a hard time on the Bible reading plan, and like Leviticus, and you're like, can we ever get through? Okay, just so you know, seven-year-old boys memorize like the first five books, just to put it in perspective. But then at about age 10, they would have a culling process. They would have a They would have a, let's see who the best of the best is. And so at about age 10, they would have a weeding out process. They would take the ones that did the very best and they would move on to the next stage. But the ones that were just like, you know, they love God, but maybe they, you know, they weren't like super sharp or not like a Mensa or any of that stuff. They would then go, they would leave Torah school and then they would go and usually apprentice with their family. They would go back and learn the family business, learn how to run it, learn how to do the craft, do all of that stuff. And so those other ones would move on from age 10. And then around age 17 was another culling process. And at age 17, what would happen is the ones, again, the ones that would not make it, they would go back. That was cut number two. But the ones that would go forward, here's what they would do. They would get permission to go and ask a rabbi because a rabbi back then was like the best job of the day. All right, Nobody back then is like, hey, I want to play in the NBA or I want to be a rock star, believe it or not. Back then, in that culture, rabbi was the most respected, best job you could have. Everybody's like, I want to be like that guy. So if you graduated on, you would then look at a rabbi that you wanted to emulate, and you would go up to that rabbi, and you would ask him, can I be your disciple? Can I be part of your gang, your Talmud? The rabbi would then quiz you. Quiz you about your interpretation of scripture, quiz you about your behavior, quiz you about your habits, quiz you about your lifestyle, all of that stuff. Because again, they wanted to be just like that. And the rabbis would choose the smartest, most talented boy to be their disciples or town meet them is what they would call it. And another reason that the rabbis were so picky about who they picked to choose to be their disciple, they're choosing someone, don't miss this, they're choosing someone they believe could become just like them. Not just know what they knew, but act like they acted. And so what would happen is for several years, you would then follow these, the Talmudim, the gang, they would follow the rabbi around Trying again, how, how do you speak? How do you interpret? How do you pray? Which, are understanding it? The disciples did this for three and a half years, which starts to kind of bring the light on when they're like, hey, teach us to pray. It kind of brings light on the fact when he sends the disciples out and then they come back licking their wounds and they're like, okay, that was bad. That wasn't awesome. Let's do it this way and, do, and we'll do it better this next time. That was a disciple-rabbi relationship and supposedly, listen to this, supposedly the highest compliment that could ever be given a disciple, is they would say that the dust of your rabbi is on you. And what they were saying in that dry and dusty culture was, you know what, you were following your rabbi so closely that as he walks, all of that dust, you're so close, you're so closely associated with, the dust of your rabbi is getting up on you. And there's two things in there that ought to encourage you, encourage or discourage you, one or the other. Number one is the fact that they are fishermen shows you what? The fact that they are fishermen, remember, cut at 10, cut at 17, go back, learn the family trade. The fact that they are fishermen says that what? They weren't the best of the best. The disciples weren't the smartest. The disciples weren't the most gifted. The disciples were the forgive me if this is where you are, the disciples were the B team. They were the JV team. They got cut in one of the first two cuts. They weren't the best of the best, but the great thing is these are the same guys that changed the course of human history. And so for you, you're like, well, I'm not the smartest, or others of you are like, I am the smartest. I graduated first in my class. I was the head cheerleader I started on the basketball team. I was valedictorian, salutatorian, whatever the Torians are. I was that. Okay, And if that was you, man, awesome. The, the good news is God could even use you. It's just going to be a lot harder. It's going to be a lot harder to use you. For the rest of us, the rest of us, it's going to be a little bit easier. You know what? God can use us. God can use us. And the second thing, three and a half years of being with Jesus So for us, what's the primary way we're with Jesus? We're 2,000 years removed from this. We can't actually physically follow Jesus. So what do we do? Our primary call is that the dust of that rabbi would cover us. So how do you have the dust of Jesus cover you? Well, there's about four or five ways, but one of them is what this whole year has been about, the whole year of the Bible emphasis. Do you think it's because we just needed to have 50 weeks of sermons prepared? Hardly, hardly. It was to put all those resources at your availability so that the dust of Jesus would get on you as you spend time listening and reading and discussing with your community so that the dust of Jesus gets all over you. Here's what the text says. It's so that you could behold the Lamb of God. He's telling these two guys, behold the Lamb of God. Behold means to be in awe of. It means like, I I can't believe it. So here's the part. That's why we say over and again, the whole book is not for you to check it off. The whole book is for you and I on a continual basis to behold. Look what Jesus did for me. That's why we never get over the gospel and say, well, I read that. I want to go deeper. Everything we're called to do springs from and is motivated by and modeled by the gospel. Every single thing in here. And if you get that, it's like when you saw here's the exegetical tool i want us to have as a church and i want you to have it we talked about we've talked and taught about the historical grammatical method to read the bible we've talked about that and let's just basically look at context and who is he writing to and we talked about it you know what did it mean then what does it mean now what does it mean to me personally that's what you do with every part of the bible but another thing you got to ask is what does this tell me of jesus because when you get that, it's like that first time you walked into a Best Buy or something and you saw 4K or you saw HDTV. I mean, every time they get something clear, you look at it and you're like, no way. You start to see stuff you did not see before. You're like, I never knew that that actress had acne. I mean, I cannot believe that I can see that now. Or you see a car chase that you have seen six times, but you see it in HD or 4K or whatever the next thing is, and you're like, I can't believe the car flipped three times. It's amazing. Same thing. When you would understand, hey, this whole thing is telling me about Jesus, then all of a sudden it, you start to being able to apply it to stuff that you're like, ah, just give me three ways to have my marriage make it this week. But when you see that, okay, you know what, Jesus, how patient he was with you, how forgiving he was with you, how gracious he was with you, how he didn't abandon you when you were unlovable, guess what that helps you to do? Get through when, when your wife is unlovable, when your husband acts like a jerk, you understand, you know what, I've acted like a jerk before, and God didn't kick me to the curb, God loved me And more than three steps to be a great husband. How about 10,000 steps God took towards you to save your behind? If you and I just understand that, all of a sudden we're better husbands. All of a sudden, we're better wives. All of a sudden, we're better employees. And so the whole part is I got I to get in there. Every story is about being with Jesus. So you're like, what do I do from there? And this is kind of the, this is the, the main thrust of this passage, and this is the challenge for today. Look what happened. I love this because this, this is the way I came to faith. Verse 41, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the, the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which that does feel kind of odd, like you meet somebody, you know him for five minutes, and he changes your name, but it's a great reminder. It's a great reminder that when you do come to Christ, he changes everything about you. He gives you a new heart. He gives you new desires. He gives you a new family. He also gives you a new name, and so, uh, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and then he found, you'll see the word in here over and again, he found, he found, they found, he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Notice there's a relationship there. It's like the writer goes out of his way to say that this was not some cold call, knock on the door evangelism. Hey, I'm from the church, and I'm here to help you. It's, uh, that's not it. These are relationships he's emphasizing off the bat. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of who? Moses and the law and also the prophets. That's the Old Testament. That's what we talk about all the time. Old Testament is pointing to Jesus too. Also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, the son of of Joseph. And then um, here's the way it ends. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Isn't that what everybody's worried about? You're going to actually invite somebody to church, or you're going to offer to pray with somebody, or you're going to kind of get out on that limb, and they're going to ask you a question that you don't know. Okay, what's, what's Peter going to ask me at the pearly gate? I don't know. I don't know. You know. That's what we're afraid of. He gets asked a hard question here. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Why? Because every Jew thought he was coming out of Bethlehem. They knew that. Micah told us that. Philip said to him, you idiot. No, he didn't. He didn't. What would he say? He just said, hey, come and see. Just come and see. So what does that tell us? It's not just that we follow. It's not just that we followed. Disciples don't just follow Jesus, but as they follow Jesus, here's the next thing you see. You see, throughout the scriptures, is they intentionally find people. Now, this is going to get awkward for like 10 minutes, but that's okay. We need to get awkward a little bit. When I looked at this, I was like, this, again, this is why, this is why I went into ministry. They, they, intentionally, they intentionally find people. He found first. It says the emphasis. He had to look for him. It means he wasn't next door. He wasn't down the street. He had to go and look for his brother. And that's important. That hits home for me because that's how I came to faith. My older brother came to faith in Christ. My two younger brothers came to faith in Christ. And then you could almost put us in there to say, and then they went out and they found first Bruce. I heard the gospel so many times. So be patient with people. I heard the gospel so many times before I ever repented. I bet you I had to have heard that thing 50 times. But my brothers loved me and they loved Jesus and the natural outflow of that is we're gonna intentionally, intentionally find people and it starts with family. Jesus found Philip, Philip found Nathaniel. Why is it? Because they're excited about Jesus and then they talk about that. That's natural. It's the question. Can you think of one topic that you have been like excited about in the last six months that you didn't talk to somebody about, either you got excited or you were ticked off. Either one, you talk about it, all right? Okay. If it was about a football team, you're like, man, they're gonna be good this year. Carolina's gonna be awesome this year. Really? Okay. Um, <laughs> you mean you talked about it? If you go eat somewhere and it's awesome, and I'm like, man. That is the best barbecue. You need to drive out there and get some of that barbecue. That barbecue is awesome. You just talk about it. If you see a movie, you're like, the movie was really good. It was good to be back in the movies. Even if you're ticked off about something, I hate these masks, 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 but you're at least talking about it. Point is this, whatever you're excited about, whatever you're enthused about, whatever it is that's there, you are going to talk about it, and so it should not shock us then that statistically, new believers are the most evangelistic. All the people that got baptized over here, they statistically are going to make a bigger impact on their friend group than you are going to make on your friend group. And they, half of them barely know that... That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They don't even know that typology. And yet, there's some of us in here, we've been in Bible study for 20 years. You've been in the same connect group for 15 years. And there's not one person that you've been able to see come to faith in Christ because the tendency for Christians is to get in our cocoon and to go from church to this meeting to that meeting and fellowship is awesome, man. Fellowship is good. It's good to be here today. I mean, it's just good to be around people, all right? We're, and the music was awesome. Church family, we are going to sing 50 times better in heaven. We're going to fellowship 1,000 times better in heaven. What we cannot do in heaven is reach men and women and boys and girls without Jesus with the gospel in heaven. We cannot do that. And when you look at this text, it's like these brand new believers. They understand that. It's like we got to get this to our family. And so God feeds us. We're with Jesus. So we can then go out into a hurting world with the hope of the gospel. That's why he says, follow me and I'll be fishers of men. Let me go ahead and just say this. And I love my Connect Group leaders. I love Connect Group, whatever campus you're on. That's the hub of what we do. But if you have a Connect Group and you've been teaching that thing for 20 years and you've never birthed another connect group, then shame on you. That's not what we're about. We're not about making Bible fatheads. We're about making disciples and disciples who reproduce other disciples. That's just a biblical deal. Go ahead. Go ahead and write an email. I'm seriously, go ahead and write an email. That is as biblical as it gets. Second Timothy 2.2, we give this to these people so they can then give this to these other people. And When you look at this, and I know some, this, watching online or in the rooms today, anytime I preach on this subject, I always feel like if you're not a Christian, you're probably like, you know what? This is why I hate about you Christians. I mean, you're always trying to convert us. You're always trying to share the gospel with us. You're always trying to tell us about Jesus. That's what I hate about y'all. You're right. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, that, uh, there's no other way to say it. Yes. Somebody invited you to church today. That's pretty much the reason that they invited you to church today. Okay, I'm not trying to get in your business, but that's kind of what they want to happen. They want you to meet Jesus as well. But think of it from our perspective. I mean, think of it from our perspective. If we think, you know what? that God put the sin dead on the world on a man 2,000 years ago. They put him in a grave, and he he beat death, and he came up out of the tomb, and he got resurrected, and he's like, you know what? Here it is. I love you. Here's salvation. What kind of people do we have to be to not want to tell you that? I mean, what's the comedian? uh, Atheist comedian, magician, excuse me, Penn Jillette, he said this in a YouTube video that went viral. He said, I don't understand why my atheist friends get mad at Christians who share Christ with them. He says, quote, I get mad when they don't. He said, how badly, this is an atheist, how badly do you have to hate someone to believe what you believe about Jesus and not tell them? Man, that's a challenge. And so here it is. Uh, when, he's, when they find their friends, most of us are not called to pack up and move to Myrtle Beach, or move to London, or move to Africa, most of us are not. Most of us are not called to leave our country and go to seminary. God puts you in that school. God puts you on that ball club. God puts you in that neighborhood. God puts you in that job. God even puts you in that family. And so most of us, you stay there, but do so with conviction that the most loving thing you can do is help them see Jesus. And you play a role in that. You play a role in that. All we have to have are two basic convictions. Really, this is it comes down to it. Now, listen. We're going to do all the demonstration stuff as a church. Let's just get back to let's get back to the main. We're going to do all the demonstrating the gospel stuff. All right, all right. We're going to support foster care. All right. We're going to feed the hungry. All right. We're going to. We're going to do all of that stuff. We're going to go and minister to the people for their physical needs. We're going to adopt the schools. We're going to do all that. But we have to do so understanding that the most loving thing we can do is actually show them Jesus. That's the most loving thing we can do. Because bottom line is there's not a person that we see in the 828 that God doesn't love. Not a person. So the question is not does God love them. We look in the Bible, God the Father loves them. He sent the Son. God the Son loves them. What? He died on the cross for them. God the Holy Spirit loves those people. Why? Because he's the one that brings conviction and conviction about their unrighteousness. The Bible even says that the saved in heaven, they love it. The Bible says they throw a party anytime one sinner repents. Even the lost in hell love lost people. Look in the Gospel of Luke. There's a scene in there, and there's a guy that's like, please send somebody to tell my brothers that they don't want to come down here. And so, Biltmore Church, the question is not, does God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the saved in heaven, the lost in hell, it's not the question is, do they love lost people? The question is, do we love lost people? That's the question. Or even more specifically, do you love lost people? Because you're like, what? Well, I don't, I can't, I can't, I can't. It's going to be, it's going to be awkward. It's going to, yeah, okay. Let me give you some easy, again, tips is such a wrong deal, but I'm going to give you about five or six that I think will help you. Just take a breath, but also get in your mind. What's the one person that God has put in relationship with me already? We're not talking about going to the drum circle and holding up signs. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the people you live with, that you play golf with, that you're in school with, that you live next door to, that you walk around and see in the neighborhood. That's who we're talking about. So just keep these in mind. So here's a couple of things in no particular order. Just the idea of starting with relationships. This whole story is about friends and family. It's like Verizon thought they had something like super, super fresh and new. No, no. The whole time it's like friends and family that's all of john chapter one now i don't want to be misunderstood relationship is not required to share the gospel it does help though so let me say it again relationship is not required many people many people that i've led to christ over the last 30 years i didn't know for five minutes and if you're not a jerk and you just love people and walk them through that, you don't have to know somebody for 15 years to actually share the gospel with them. You don't. It does help. So with that in mind and in this text, here's a couple of thoughts you might think about altering because all it is is about being intentional. It's about being intentional. So here's some intentional choices you can make. Go to the same, go to the same coffee shop, same gym, same hairdresser, whatever. You Go to the, go to the same one. Over, I mean, if their service is even remotely decent, go to the same one. You know what's gonna happen? I'll put it this way I go to the same Starbucks, unless I have a breakfast meeting, I'll go to the same one probably four times a week in the morning. You're like, well, that's addicted. You're right, okay? That's 100%, all right? So, all right, pray for me. But the idea is now when I go in there, when I go through there, the only change in my order, it's either a venti brevi latte, or if I've had a breakfast meeting and already had a bunch of coffee, I'll say a venti breve latte decaf, because I don't want to have the shakes in about five minutes. But other than that, half the time, you know what actually happens at that particular place? I'll go up there, and it, I know they have a little cheat camera, but half the time, I'll sit there, and they're like, uh, hey, this, can I help you? Can I, whatever they're in, intral- hey, like a venti breve, hey, you need your regular, Pastor Bruce? It's like, Yes, I do, I think. I'd need the same thing, low-fat turkey bacon sandwich, vinci breve latte, boom, that's it. Go to the same one. You know what's happening now is, hey, are you guys open back up yet? Are you guys open back up yet? One of them was awesome. One of them said, hey, what do I have to do to work at the coffee counter? I was like, well, we can figure that out. It happened to be during COVID. I'm like, well, when we open back up, we'll train you. So go to the same one uh here 's one and this works in the south i don 't know if it works if you live in like California or New York probably doesn't, but it does it does here go tomorrow, hey, what did you do this weekend? Ask the question, What did you do this weekend and because of where we live, they are almost obligated to then ask what now don 't do some cheesy uh well, I sing hymns to a great God, and, and I, you know, I'm not saying that, Just, but you can say, you know what, man, it's an awesome thing at church. I'm doing this year through the Bible, or we got this guy with big biceps. He's coming next week, and you might know him. His name is Tim Tebow. Hey, it's just kind of a fun time. That's what you do. Now, don't be quite that hyper, but you get the idea. Just share what's going on. Um, here's one listen for the not cues. The not cues. Things are like, uh, things are not going well. I. Uh, I was not prepared for that. Or uh, the one that happens more and more is, you know what, I'm, I'm not from here. I'm not from here. Man, welcome to the most beautiful place on God's green earth to live, all right? What part of town do you live in? It's awesome. Here are the best restaurants, or here's the best church, or whatever, okay? That's what, just listen for the not. Here's an easy one. Um, parents, parents, it starts in the home, your first mission field are your kids. That's your first mission field. In two weeks, we've got four adventure weeks going on. That is like the easiest way to disciple your kids is to get them signed up. We do it all for you for that week. Just get them signed up for that. There's not even any charge because all these people have been generous and they paid for the whole thing. So just get a little skeeter, get a little... Skippy, Scooter, Jeter, whatever his name is, just get him here, and, and they'll have a great week. Uh, here's a couple more. <laughs> I know there's going to be a scooter here, and it's going I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just the way it goes. I tried Dorcas one time. I actually got a letter, so I'm sorry I don't use Dorcas anymore. Um, here's another one. If you get invited to a party, just go. If you get invited to a barbecue party in your neighborhood by non-Christians, go to the party like, well, yeah, well, if I go to that party, what if somebody there gets drunk? Well, okay, well, then take them home. Be the designated driver. You don't have to get drunk as well. Don't act like them. But this is not like a holy little place. Oh, I can't go there because uh, they might touch me. If they touch me, I might get cooties. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Just go. Go. And don't frown the whole time, all right? Sorry. It's just, uh, Okay, here's one. Don't freak out if they a, don't freak out thinking they might ask you a question you don't know the answer to. I mean, did you not see that? I mean, in the story, Nathan, Nathaniel talks to Philip. Uh, I thought, he asked him a theological question. I thought the Messiah who you just told me about, he's supposed to come from Bethlehem. And what good comes out of Nazareth? Nazareth is like uh, man, what uh I'm trying to think what. Mm, stay, I, don't even, I don't even tell you what Nazareth is. It's like that small town you see on the way to Charlotte that you're not scared. You, you, you don't even want to pull over and like get a, you know, a, a, something from their convenience store. It's like, so be offended if that's your town. My point is this. Nobody thought anything came from Nazareth. So nobody's going to ask you that. Oh, I thought the Messiah came from Bethlehem. Nobody's going to ask you that. You know what they will? Um, how, does a, how does a loving God allow so much injustice in the world? Uh, how does God allow, uh, how does a loving, why in the, how does a loving God send people to hell? How, how can there just be one way? Now heres I can do this all day. My point is this. You don't have to know all the answers. Now there are good answers to all of that. I mean, half those answers are like five minutes on Google and you have a good biblical answer. But you don't have to and don't act like you do. What did he say? I don't know. Come and see. That's all he said. Just come and see. That's just an invitation. Just come and see. That's not a bad one. You know what? I don't know the answer to that. That's a great, I've been wondering that myself. Let's explore this. Let's explore this uh, together. Because here's the bottom. Listen, they're people. They're people, folks. They're not projects. They're not projects. They're just people. So just talk to them like people. Now, let me close with this. You will be categorized when you do this as uh, either you'll be categorized as like the Jesus guy or the prayer girl. And that's okay. And a lot of people won't pay any attention to you on the front end. It's like, I don't want anything to do with you. But a lot of times, because of this thing called life, when life happens, a lot of times, you know who they remember? You know who they call? You know who they phone? You know who they asked to pray for them? The Jesus guy, the prayer girl, is a good indication God's working. He's like, I don't know what this, I don't know all this stuff. Just be intentional. And if nothing else, just say, come and see. Just come and see. You don't know what role. Listen, you can't, we're not all Peters. You can't be just a Peter's, like, I can preach, 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 be an Andrew. All Andrew did, you see Andrew three times. He never wrote a book of the Bible. All right. He didn't stand up and preach. The times you see him, all he's doing is he's just saying, Hey, individually, hey, come here, come here, come see Jesus. That's what he's doing. So here's, here's a little encouragement that actually impacts you, whether you knew it or not. The modern day equivalent of Andrew happened way back, a couple hundred years ago. You had an, I got him, Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball taught a connect group of young men at his church. And at some point he's like, I got to share the gospel with all the young men in my church. I need to share the gospel with all young men, excuse me, connect group, Sunday school. I got to share the gospel with them." So he ends up and he sets an appointment with each one of them, goes through the gospel. Um, one of those guys that... Uh, he shared the gospel with this guy named D.L. Moody. All right, D.L. Moody became a phenomenal evangelist. Shared the gospel all over. And one of the people that got uh, saved uh, in his ministry is a guy named Wilbur Chapman. He was a college student. All right, he became an evangelist as well. One of the people he hired was a guy named Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a professional baseball player. He's like, hey, come on over here. You be my assistant. Billy Sunday was preaching one time, and there's a guy in the audience, and his name was Mordecai Ham. All right, if you, if you can got a name like Mordecai, you. Need, got to be a preacher, okay? So it's like a Mordecai Ham. And so Mordecai Ham becomes a preacher. And then Mordecai Ham is doing a tent revival in Charlotte, North Carolina. And there's a little kid out there. They usually called him Billy Frank or family called him Billy Frank. We know him as Billy Graham. So Billy Graham gets saved at that particular crusade and then obviously preaches the gospel to millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions, and millions of people. Some of you actually came to Christ through the ministry or if most definitely the outpouring and the the ongoing effect of Billy Graham's ministry, and what did, it, what did it start? Where did it start? Like Everybody knows Billy Graham. Very few people know Edward Kimball, but that's where it started. Way back 150, 175 years ago, all it was was a connect group teacher saying, I'm going to tell my young men about Jesus, and the next thing you know, you got Billy Graham lining up and leading millions to Christ. So we can't all be Billy Graham's, but we can all be Edward Kimball's.